It's time now for super psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. Welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. Today is Sunday, December the 5th, 2021, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell, and we are back live from beautiful Austin, Texas. And Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here with us as usual to make the show run smoothly, and we have a great show for you this evening. In a little while after the break, we'll be joined once again by Claude Anshin Thomas, Vietnam veteran, Zen Buddhist monk, and founder of the Zalto Foundation, a nonprofit organization dedicated to peaceful transformation of conflict, violence, and trauma in individuals and groups. And he's also author of several books, including Bringing Meditation to Life and At Hell's Gate, A Soldier's Journey from War to Peace. And Claude returns to the show once again, and this time he's here for a discussion about ending our inner conflict, our inner war, to find inner peace and, and maybe have an impact on bringing more peace into the world and into our communities. And I'll talk a little bit about remaining passionate about life in spite of the obstacles, especially in this stressful time of the year. And throughout this evening's program, we will have time to take your questions. So if you have any questions or comments for me or for my guest, please feel free to give a call. The toll-free number is 855-345-4720. That's 855-345-4720. Or you can email your questions to me, and I will read them on the air to my to my guest, to Claude, so he can answer them. And my email address is drmara, D-R-M-A-R-A, <clears throat> at drmaracarpel.com, D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L. And you can hear this evening's program once again by going to my website, and the link to the podcast will be posted later tonight, along with any website links that we talk about on the program. And you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to blog talk radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash your golden years and you can also hear it on apple Podcasts right after the program and for information about previous programs upcoming programs read my blog all of that go to drmaracarpel.com and you can hear all the previous programs at blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years and on apple podcasts and be sure to meet follow me on facebook to find out what's coming up next this show is produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions, and sponsored by AMightyGoodTime.com. Wondering what to do after you're 50? How about having a mighty good time? It's free to search, free to post, and much more, whether it's in person or virtual. Anything can be found to fill your days with others in your age group. So be more active, start filling your days, by going to amightygoodtime.com. That's amightygoodtime.com. All right, we're going to take a brief break. Don't go anywhere because we're just going to play a couple of our other sponsors' commercials, and then we're going to be right back very quickly, and we'll be joined right here by Claude Anshin Thomas to talk about bringing more peace into ourselves and into the world. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Go 
Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Worried about memory loss? Dr. Ronald DeVere, certified neurologist and director of Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders in Lakeway, has been helping those with dementia and memory loss for over 12 years. Specializing in the diagnosis, treatment, and counseling of those with memory loss and dementia, Dr. DeVere also has a book to reduce your worry and fear by knowing the fact. Memory loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. Available now on Amazon.com. Dr. Ronald DeVere, Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders center in Lakeway, and his book, Memory Loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. For more information or to schedule an appointment, call 512-261-7909. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And now joining us on the phone once again is Claude Anshin Thomas, Vietnam veteran, Zen Buddhist monk, founder of the Zalto Foundation and author. And I'm looking forward to this conversation. Are you there, Claude? Um, I am. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you. I just want to remind you there's a slight delay when we talk like this, and that's for us to remember and for the listeners to understand. So um makes it a little easier when we keep that in mind. Um, how are you this evening, Claude? Um, it's been I a couple of months. Most, yeah, I'm for the most part okay. Thanks for having me back on your show. I'm very glad to have you back on the program because there was just so much talk about we couldn't finish it all in one show <laughs> so um you know for listeners who <clears throat> who weren't listening the last time and haven't read your information um can you give us a, just a little bit about your background um yes i'll, I'll attempt to do the very short version because i know we have a limited amount of time um, I was uh, born and raised in northwest Pennsylvania, small rural farming community. Um, my father uh, was a school teacher. He had a master's degree in biochemistry. However, he taught U.S. history and driver education. Um, uh, let's see. Um, he was served as a he served in combat in the Second War. Um, his mm-hmm. my grandfather, his father, had been a soldier in the First War. Uh, my great-grandfather and my father's grandfather had been a soldier in the second in the um, Spanish-American War. Um, wow! If, if you if you um, are from if you live in Spain or read Spanish history, they call that conflict something different. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, also the community I grew up in, and probably at, at, the, at the time that I grew up, there were probably. 60 to 80 percent of the the men my father's age in that community had served in the Second War. Um, I was a high school athlete, um, three sports, football, baseball, wrestling. I was uh, quite successful, and and all of that. The reason I'm I'm giving you that background is because all of that information, all of that um, exposure, was conditioning me. Uh, was, was pouring me into the funnel that was conditioning me to go into the military. I, enli- mm-hmm. I myself enlisted in the military in high school. Um, uh, my father had to sign a contract. I was only 17. Um, when I graduated from high school, I promptly uh, went into the military at the age of 18 or just in front of my 18th birthday. I volunteered to go to Vietnam. As soon as I turned 18, um, I was sent immediately um, they, my orders were approved, and I was sent immediately to Vietnam. I wow. went there as a, an infantry soldier. Um, however, I didn't go um, attached with the unit. I went independent and um, with 250 other uh, young men. And um, I was, a, I was um, initially sent to a, to a replacement battalion, and from there I was assigned to a, an assault helicopter company as a door gunner. I, I changed mm-hmm. my 
after about a year, about after about a month, month and a half, two months, um, I changed my job title. I became a crew chief, so I went from infantryman to aviation, and um, and and I was um, I was pretty seriously injured in Vietnam. Um, so I would like to say that when I the exposure that I had from my father and and the other men in my community was that um, when I came back, it was like, forget about what you've been through. It's in the past. Um, now it's time for you to just get on with your life. Um, that, however, was not possible for me. Right. Um, and and um, so I, I look at my life as the war, before the war. That was a dynamic in my family. It was a chaotic family. My father died also at a very young age. Um, uh, although he was active in the community, sort of well-respected, I guess. Um, um, he died of alcoholism at the age of 53. He died in his sleep from a heart attack. Um, he mm-hmm. drank alcoholically, smoked 50 to, cigarette, 50 to 60 cigarettes a day, and had a horrible diet. Um, I, I, I can look at his life from where I'm at today and understand that um, his inability or, or lack of encouragement to speak honestly about his war experience, um, he used social anesthetics to put a blanket over all of that. Um, however, mm-hmm. um, what I've learned is that if, if I'm unwilling to step into um, and discover how I have been affected um, by not only my combat service but my military training, um, if I'm unwilling to sort of unwrap how I've been affected, um, regardless of what I, how I think my life is, um, the truth of my life is going to continue to influence the choices that I make, the, rela- the relationships or the interactions that I have with people, um, et cetera. And so my, so my life after the war was just another war. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's so true, really, of, of, for veterans as well as anyone who's been through any sort of trauma, right? But if we don't... Absolutely. If we don't... Yep. Mm-hmm. It influences everything for the rest of our life if we don't deal with it and face it. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I would say what I also say... So I... I when I came home... When I was released from the military and I returned back to Pennsylvania, um, I, I did, first I didn't understand that I was affected because that was never modeled for me. Um, I thought, well, this was just my life, which is also true. Um, I didn't know how to deal with the tension and the, uh, the, the memories that I had, the, the, things that w- the, the feelings that would rise up and the memories, memories that that would generate. And, and at the time I was... Uh, from a per- I would periodically, in in high stress situations, um, experience flashbacks, the reliving of a particular combat experience, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I I didn't want to talk about it because I thought if I did that I would be labeled um, crazy, and and right. I knew that I wasn't. I knew I wasn't. I just so I didn't quite know what to do with them. So I, I do with all of this. So I followed what was modeled for me by my father and the majority of men that I knew in my community, and that was to use um, social anesthetics to put a blanket over it. Not only so, not only, yeah, at the time, the social anesthetics that I was using were predominantly illegal. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, that was what was popular at that time. <laughs> Well, let's say it was common. Um, common, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but it was also set up for me because um, when I was discharged, I was discharged from military hospital. Um, I had been, I spent a, a quite a bit of time at the end of my service in, in military hospital because of injuries. And mm-hmm. they were giving me um, narcotics for pain and they never stopped giving them to me. And And so when I left the military, I had a, uh, I, pretty, I had a strong dependence on narcotics, and I was addicted to war. War 
force of force that gave mm. me meaning. It was a, um, to coin a phrase um, by Chris Hedges, who, who who wrote a book similar to that. And and and, and I was um, violence. It, it was just so much a part of my life. I just, but that was the way that I. That's the way I deal with conflict. That's the way I deal with um, threats that I perceive externally. That violence is a solution. What mm-hmm. I know today is that violence is not a solution. Violence only gets more violence, and and we can see that. Oh yeah. <laughs> Especially today, things have really become so so violent. This is interesting. I, I, I don't know if today things are any more violent than they were during the period of time where I sort of came of age. So I came of mm-hmm. age uh, in the military. Um, and then I, I, I came out of the military in 1968. Um, in May of 1970, I was on the campus of Kent State University um, oh, wow. when, the, when the killings took place. And, wow. and those, killing, those killings were generated. Um, I mean, the, the guard was called in because of the activities of um, the other war movement. They called themselves the anti-war movement. But when you're burning down buildings and when you're spitting on soldiers and when you're dehumanizing people in uniform, the police and so, then, then you're just, you've made them the enemy and it's just another war. You're just wrapping it up in a different name. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, I was, uh, and, but I was a, a part of that. Um, I wasn't a part of it because um, I was a part of it for different reasons than today. Um, back then, I was part of the what was called the anti-war movement because I I was thoroughly convinced that we were not engaged in any meaningful way uh, militarily in Vietnam. That that if we weren't fighting the thing to win it, then we shouldn't be there. And winning mm-hmm. meant winning meant the occupation, the occupation and takeover of the country, and that was never going to happen. But that was my thinking then, um, because of how I'd been conditioned, the way I was, the way um, these circumstances were delivered to me through the media, through the books that I read, through the professors who taught me, and the teachers who taught me in high school, through the sports that I played. Everything was conditioning me, shaping my view of the world. Mhm. Mhm. How do we get to the point bringing more peace into our lives and into the world? Yeah. That's yeah. the question. <laughs> that <laughs> it is. A million dollar question. Um, yes, it is. You know, I so, I, I uh, I, you know, just to let you know that, and I think I mentioned it last time, that I work with veterans right now and, you know, and doing the evaluations that then help them to get further help. Um, my dad was also a veteran of World War II. His dad was an immigrant and was a veteran and fought in the American Army for, in World War I. Um, ah. So... I I understand that that line. <laughs> um, yeah, we have a common we have a common family thread here. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so except but, by the time that I was born, my father was older, um, and um, you know he was old for that time and was very much about trying to find peace. So from yeah. his experiences, he he wanted to stop war. Um, he was, you know, against. He was an anti-war movement, as you mentioned, but not not for burning down buildings and that sort of thing. Um, yes. You know. Well, what, um, I, what I in my working with veterans. Excuse me, I didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry. No, that's okay. Go on. Okay. In my so, um, I've been living as a mendicant, a fully ordained mendicant. Zen Buddhist monk for the last 25 years. I was going to say a quarter of a century because that sounds like a really mm-hmm. long time, but it's 25 years. Right. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and, and the, the, the tenets that were passed on to me 
helped me to has helped me to learn how to live at peace with my unpeacefulness. Because one of the things that I learned through this meditation practice was that um, peace, the reality of peace transcends my ideas of it. Um, just like my, I, I had to learn, had to first be willing to, um, A, stop taking intoxicants and stay stopped. So I had to take the blanket off of that suffering, that, the blanket of, of, of drugs that I was using, drugs and alcohol that I was using. I had to take it off, and I had to keep it off. When I, once I stopped drinking and taking other drugs and, and, and established some, um, some time of not, not using those things, the reality that how I have been affected began to, ex, began to express itself in my life. It was a tumultuous time, and I, I, I wouldn't have survived it without the support uh, of a, 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 a social worker and a psychiatrist. They were very helpful, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm indebted to them, especially to the psychiatrist, for not succumbing to my press to get a diagnosis. And he refused to do that because he knew how he, – uh, he understood how desperate I was for some identity, and he kept encouraging me to stay with the process, um, and that identity – would begin to show itself to me. And no one had ever encouraged me before to be self-reflective. Um, about seven years into this, not using, not using alcohol and other drugs, I was led to a meditation, a meditation in a Buddhist sense of it. Um, mm-hmm. And it, in what I was being encouraged to do was um, to... I was told straight out, it didn't matter what I, what I thought. It didn't matter what I believed. It didn't matter what I said. It mattered what I did. And that all they were asking me to do was to sit down. Um, they gave me a, a, a instructions on how to sit down, to sit down and um, slow down, to create some space in my life, and to create some silence and stillness in my life. Because activity was a great intoxicant for me. It was a way to avoid um, how I was f- feeling. Um, they also encouraged me to um, stop whenever my mind would rush on a, tr- on a track of attempting to find a solution to how I was feeling. They encouraged me to just stop doing that because um, as I was analyzing, I was also then not feeling or dealing. So they invited me to just practice becoming still and it. It took me years of, of just being, of just following instructions, staying dedicated to that, not giving up in the process, that I, that I began to discover that um, I'm not a good or a bad person because of what I've done. I am, however, responsible. And so then what to do? And what to do is to stop doing the things that I was doing it was creating the difficulties and chaos in my life and in the lives of others. So it's not so much mm-hmm. what I was going to do, but what I was going to stop doing. And um, they also, I was also encouraged to understand that there is no establishing peace with my unpeacefulness until I was willing to let go of my ideas of things, and that the only way to discovery was through that suffering. I couldn't go around it. I couldn't go over it. I couldn't go beside it. And they said if I was willing to sit just to sit and then see how that transport, transported into everything that I do, that, that um, some pretty amazing things could happen in my life. And, mm-hmm. and I was at, I, I don't know why, I just I followed their instructions. And um, it, it's true. So when, when veterans or others come to, Retreats. I, I, I get invited to facilitate retreats. I get invited to speak publicly. Um, it's all pretty amazing to me, considering where I've come from. Um, but I, I tell people when they come to retreat that if they've come for a spa weekend, or if they come looking for the experience to fix some difficulty in their life, then they should go home, because that's not what mm. that's not what this 
what meditation practice, as it's been passed on to me, is about. Okay. Okay. It's not a magical formula. No. Right. <laughs> it's not like you meditate and everything goes away. Um, yes, that's. I mean, that's correct. If, mm-hmm, if we're really, mm-hmm. if we're engaged in a practice, really engaged in it, um, uh, with um, with a community of like-minded people, with a with someone with who with a community which is guided by someone who's who's established in a long-standing tradition, um, we we have the support that we need. Um, to begin this process of discovery, um, to understand that healing is not the absence of suffering. It's learning to mm-hmm. live in a different relationship with it. Because as Buddha said, life is suffering, right? <laughs> yes, and, and, and it's interesting. I, I just had a conversation with someone about that today. And people... There was a time when I was speaking publicly when at the I usually speak for anywhere from thirty to forty minutes and then I stop and I open it up for any questions from the people in attendance, any questions they want to ask and inevitably someone would say to me, "So um what's up with you, Buddhist? um you're depressing, man, all you talk about is suffering i said, i I don't want to suffer, I want to be happy." And my response would be, that's suffering. The idea, our ideas of happiness, attempting to get our life to conform to our ideas of it and where those ideas came from is what creates suffering. Happiness is available to us, available to all of us, if we're willing to give up our ideas about it and and let it show itself to us. Mm -hmm. Right. Otherwise, we're we're always looking for it somewhere else, right? That's correct. We're always looking. What the way my life was life was constructed, and it was constructed this way because of the what I was exposed to around me was that my problems are external and the solutions are external. When I when mm-hmm. I stopped taking drugs and alcohol and stayed stopped, I began to get the information that. And I was, the problems were mine, and the solutions were mine. Now, I needed help and support to navigate the process of deconstructing all of this, all of my, how I was conditioned to view the world so that new behaviors could begin to take their place. I needed support with that, and and I'm very fortunate in that I've, that I've had support by people like yourself. So I, I really mm-hmm. thank everything that you're doing for um, the veteran community. Well, thank you for saying that. Oh, you're welcome. But, and, and you're working with the veteran community now, too. Yes. Correct? In fact, mm-hmm. just after we finished um, our conversation, um, at 6 p.m. Central Time, I have an online gathering of veterans. We've been meeting for two years now online since uh, since COVID. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those are fr- those veterans are from all over the country. They're from all over the country, um, and they're um, they're from all over the country. They're from different con- they're from different conflicts. We have I have people who were uh, in Vietnam. I have people who were in Africa. I have people who were in uh, Central America. I have people who were in um, in Bosnia. Um, Iraq, Afghanistan, they had men, women. Um, I have also, uh, from time to time, we're joined by um, family members of veterans. And there was one young man who was a regular attendee for quite some time. He was the son of a veteran. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. The trend, because it, the, it definitely affects families. Mm-hmm. The, topic, the, the topic that... Uh, I've, uh, this is a topic that I've made an effort to address over the years, and that is the transgenerational effect of mm-hmm. war, violence, and suffering. So mm-hmm. whether whether it's whether we're talking about 
um, combat soldiers, whether we're talking about um, people who served in the military, or whether we're talking about a survival of domestic violence, we're talking about a survival of childhood violence, um, mm-hmm. whether we're talking about the survi- some, anyone who has survived a, a trauma, house fire, mm-hmm. um, uh, 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 police officers, firefighters, um, um, EMTs. Um, right. These people are exposed. These people are exposed to the the realities of war. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. You know, when I when I lived in New York, I worked with some people who were children of Holocaust survivors. Yes. And um, the children are are you know who never stepped foot in those countries where the Holocaust happened were very much affected by the Holocaust. You know, transmitted by their parents. Absolutely. Sure. I, I also mm-hmm. yes, I've also met several. So, yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, so, you know, I have a question that on a more general level, and it applies to, you know, both veterans, and but also I think right now we're all sort of in this trauma state um, with, you know, COVID, and, and it seems, and I know that you mentioned that, you know, vi- violence has been around for a while, but it seems like it's, the violence has come into our daily lives in a more um, one, one-to-one conflict. Like you can go into the supermarket and look at someone wrong or ask them to put their mask back on and you might get shot. Um, yeah. Or, or yeah. <laughs> um, and I, and, you know, a lot, of, and as a response to that, people who are not typically violent tend to become more, more, um, you know, verbally violent. They may not shoot someone, but they become more verbally aggressive or just driving more aggressive and just constantly walking around with that anger. And I'm wondering if you have some tips for us and how we can kind of calm that down so that we're not contributing to even more violence and, and also not hurting ourselves in the process. Hmm. There's no, I don't think there's a magic solution to this. Um, okay. What, what I do, what I share with people when I, when, cause I also meet with people um, publicly well, not publicly, but I meet with them on Zoom. I have a, an open gathering where people come from all over every Sunday morning, and, and this question pops, pops up, and, and, I, and it's, it's, it's not my job. It's not my responsibility to enforce. It's my responsibility to take care of what I can, to be the peace I want to see in the world. So mm-hmm. I, what I do is, is um, unless someone is overtly, overtly imposing themselves, and Look, I'm, I'm in the panhandle of Florida right now. If I go into the supermarket, I would probably say, I mean, the, the, all the people who work there are masked, but the people who are coming in the supermarket, I would probably say maybe 20, 30% of them are masked. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I'm one of that, one of the 20 or 30%. I'm, I'm not about imposing my will on others. I am about being the example that I want to see in the world. Um, I think that um, if I were to con- if I were to come upon a situation where someone was imposing themselves and it was a, a conflict situation, I actually don't know what I would do. However, I am confident that the um, the time that I have spent um, living in a very committed and dedicated way um, would uh, it informs me. I, I trust that. And I, I think that one of the reasons that we, one of the reasons that there, there is this edge, there is this, people are more quick to act out is because COVID, and the reality of COVID, has one, unmasked our um, sense of, uh, our sense of invulnerability. In, in, in People mm-hmm. have a tendency to, to not be 
so good at recognizing their vulnerability. COVID has unwrapped that, taken away a lot of the distractions that were that we were accustomed to, which which then kept some of these uh, kept some of our suffering, whatever that might be, under wraps. Um, you mm-hmm. take away those distractions, and it begins to surface. And then at, at some very um, well, at governmental levels, what's being modeled for us is uh, uh, is that kind of anger and aggression. I, I have to say, okay, if I want the world to be different, what am I willing to do? What am I willing to do? And then how can I carry that in the world? And, and I just do that. I just live out loud the peace I want to see in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, do you have recommendations for people to just when they start to feel that inner turmoil and aggression or even fear of other people's aggression, what, what they can do? I can share what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the people who are connected to me, what I encourage them to do. Um, the most powerful tool we have at our access is our breath. And breath mm-hmm. it really is the foundation of life. And I, you know, people can think and believe whatever they want. This happens also publicly. Uh, and I go through, I go through, uh, I do a, um, I, I do an example of this. And then, but and I tell people if if they think that the breath is not the foundation of life, if it's something else, then I turn a chair around facing the group and I ask if you believe something different, come sit in a chair, let me cover your nose and mouth, and we'll see, and we'll see. If, if breath is not the foundation. So uh-huh. at, the, at the heart of a disciplined meditation practice is breath awareness. So, and, and this is something that has to be cultivated. It, it's not natural to us. So I encourage people when they start, when they get a sense of uh, that discomfort rising, or if they get a, if they begin to become overwhelmed with them, what I ask, what I usually suggest is they step off to the side just really get a hold of your breath. Breathe in, knowing that you're breathing in. Breathe out, knowing that you're breathing out. Do that in a very disciplined way. And if you want, if people want more, your listening audience wants more support with this, then they can contact me. But there, there are some very um, skillful teachers out there who can guide people in, in, in how to get a hold of the breath. Uh, but I'm, I'm available. Okay. Um, all right. So it sounds like you have a lot of resources for listeners that you're available for, the um, workshops and Zooms, and, and they can reach out to you. Um, yes. And is that through the Valso Foundation? It is. Absolutely. Can can you tell us about the Zalto Foundation a little bit? Sure. The the foundation was formed in 1993 as a nonprofit organization to help raise money to support Vietnam veterans to go back to Vietnam. Um, it's grown so far beyond that original mission. Um, so, what I would rather than talk a lot about it, what I would encourage people to do okay sorry what I encourage people to do if Mm -hmm. that's okay Mm -hmm. what I encourage people to do if they are interested or curious is to to go onto the Zalto Foundation website Um, there's a it's a really well crafted website Um, the board of directors is an amazing group of people and uh, that address is um Zalto, Z-A-L-T-H-O dot org. Um, okay. Z-A-L-T-H-O dot org. That's correct. Okay. And is that the best way for people to reach out to you? To that, that's, um, that's a good way for them. It's a good way for them to find, yes, to get to me. There is an email address there. Um, they can write to that email address, and those emails get sent to me. Um, also, the, if people want to attend any of the 
um, formal sittings that we have. We have them on Thursdays and Saturdays. Thursday evenings at 6, Saturday mornings at 8, and that's central time. And the Zoom address is also on that website. Um, but the foundation, I mean, we support veterans. We support uh, veterans and their family members. And their, uh, we also um, offer meditation instruction. Um, we also uh, work with all sorts of groups. And uh, we, work, we do a lot of, we do as much support as we're able to work. We, the foundation exists solely on the donations of, of people who are associated with, with the foundation. Um, we, are, we don't have any government grants. Um, like, for example, any of the books that you mentioned, um, any of the book sales, they all go to the foundation. Um, we mm-hmm. have been providing food. Uh, we've, been, we've been supporting a group that provides groceries for um, people who don't have enough food. We're providing some support um, to uh, an organization who pays the utility bills of people who are unable to um, have their power turned on because of the effects of COVID. Um, we also, um, I work actively with the homeless populations. Um, I go into the, the various homeless encampments um, to get to wow. know the people there so that they, to develop relationships with them so that I'm not there to, I'm not there to fix them or to cure them or to, I'm, I'm there to get to know them. And as they get to know them, they get to know me. Then we build up a relationship of trust and then I can find out what's going on in the camps. And if there's anything that we can do to support any immediate needs that people have, or if we can connect them to people who we have vetted, who will really provide them um, uh, really superior support. And, and we, um, I also, I get invited into block psychiatric facilities. I go into forensic hospitals. I'm routinely going into maximum security Great. prisons and carrying, wow. and, and carrying the, um, the, the practice that if we want our life to be different, it can be. We're not hopelessly locked in a downward spiral of self-destruction. So now, Claude, I know that you have to get off soon to go to your online group. Do you have a few minutes to take a question from a caller? Uh, Yeah, I have like three, four minutes. Okay. All right. So let's see. Um, Let me get him on. Um, Sure. Hugh, Hugh, are you there? Yes. Thank you so much for taking my call. And thank you to the gentleman for his service and continued service to yes. not only Vietnam era veterans, Vietnam veterans, but also to humanity. I am a Vietnam yes. era veteran myself. Okay. And Hugh, um, Claude has just about three minutes because he has to go to a veterans group to lead a veterans group. So um, what's your question? Well, I heard you talking about breathing and <clears throat> I have, I was totally disabled in a near-death experience in 2007 with severe COPD and eventually through uh, the means test came into the veterans healthcare system in 2008 and when I saw the pulmonologist at the hospital for the first time he took one look at me and said you'll be dead in six months so uh, (laughs) I am still here and a lot has to mm-hmm. be done with spirituality and and everything. So I do the personal breathing when it gets difficult at times. And if you wanted to comment on that, but I think you alluded to that by just taking the deep breaths. But uh, yeah. Okay. And, yeah. Well, you, thanks. You. Thanks for calling in, and uh, and and for your question. You know, my my mother died of COPD. Um. But her, she never did anything to adjust her lifestyle. So I'm, I'm so very glad to hear that, A, you've gotten the kind of care from the VA that is supporting you, and, B, that you have some access to breath awareness. What I would say is that I, I know breath is an issue for you, and still, um, if, if we can, in those moments of, of, in the moments I can only imagine maybe quite desperate when breath becomes difficult to get, it, to, to just really to, with our 
with our intellect, just grab a hold of ourselves, slow ourselves down, um, and and really concentrate on the breath that we can get. Um, I, I I hope that that will be of support to you. Yes, I. If the host can share my number, I'd love to speak with you off air because there's a lot that I'm doing that I think can really help fund your programs and bring more attention to it too. Okay, I'll, you. I'll do that. Yep. Okay, go on. Sorry. That's quite okay with me. Um, Hugh. Yes. Oh, um, let me give you my email address. Yeah, I don't do email. That's why I was saying that for the host to share okay. my phone number. Then, oh, fine. Then, but then, there's plenty. Yeah, there's plenty of information. Mark. I do have something too. I just want to interject it. I have a poem that Maya Angelou commented on that I'm putting out as a global thing for fundraising, and she passed away from COPD. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I, have okay. no, I have no problems if, if Dr. Cartel would share my phone number with you. Yeah, I, I have oh. the number for the website, so I can leave a, a voicemail there, but I just wanted to have her give it to you so we can talk when it's convenient. Great. Yeah. Sure. I'll send an email with your phone number. I appreciate um, that very plug. much. And All prayer right. is very powerful. We have to get more spirituality, not religion, but spirituality coming into the VA healthcare system, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Hugh. Thank, Thank you, you for taking my call. God bless right. everyone. Okay. Okay, right. thanks. Um, and thank you, Claude. I know you have to go to, to I, I meet do. up with your vet. You're very welcome. And it really, Dr. Carpell, I can't thank you enough for the work that you do and for having me back on your show. Um, if and there's thank really you so much. Anything that I, if there's anything I can do to support you in the work that you do or if our foundation can support you in the work that you do, um, we're we're glad to do it. Just let us know. All right. Thank you so much. And I will You're be welcome. I will be sharing your um there's also um website information on my website so people can take a look at that and see how they can get involved. Thanks so very much. Okay. All right. Thank you. You have a good evening. Uh you're welcome and also you. Thank you. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. Yep. Bye-bye now. Yeah, may I hang up now? Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Bye-bye then. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take a brief break. Um, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Worry about memory loss? Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. And we're back. Um, If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And I was going to talk about... um, creating passion even in this time of stress but I really we we went over on the last on our interview with Claude and um, I think the things that he had to say were extremely important and also really helpful for all of us in coping with stress so I think he covered a lot of it and um, especially the breathing part um, focusing on our breath is the number one way of coping with stress. And I'm going to talk more about some tips in, in dealing with obstacles um, along our path and remaining passionate in spite of the obstacles on the next show when we uh, meet again in two weeks. Next week is an encore, so the following week when we're live, I will talk about that topic. So right now, before we... Before we go off the air, I just want to let you know what's coming up. 
Um, next week, we're going to play one of our recent favorite encores at this time as I travel to the New York area. And then we'll be back live again on December 19th when we'll be joined by George Ann Lowe, who's an artist, a jazz singer, and a writer. And she'll be discussing her latest book, Resurrecting Bunny, A Wild Child Pilgrimage. And this is a memoir. This is a memoir in which George Ann offers inspiring tidbits from her life with the message of hope. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information and get the, the link to the website that we talked about and any other information that we discussed, go to my website and the podcast along with that information will be on, on a post later tonight drmaricarpel.com, and you can also hear this evening's program in as soon as five minutes from now by going directly to Blog Talk Radio, B-L-O-G talkradio.com slash your golden years, and you can also listen to this podcast in five minutes by going to Apple Podcasts and looking for Dr. Mara Carpel and your golden years, my page on Apple Podcasts. This show was produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions, and sponsored by amightygoodtime.com. Um, thank you to my guest, Claude Anshin Thomas. Thank you to our caller, Hugh. Thank you to Art. And thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring week. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe. Comes a time when you're all alone Comes a time, gotta write that song May not make any sense at all But it's up to you, keep a smile on your face Now I've been young mostly every day Just like you, don't you ever change Cause this world's getting pretty old And it's up to you a smile on your face, butterflies down. Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show. Oh, 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 oh.